a couple years ago, I, I, I shared the story of, of the Challenger disaster. In January of, two, of 1986, the, the Space Shuttle Challenger was launching, and 72 or 73 seconds into that launch, uh, the whole thing exploded. And, and everyone on board died at that moment. And it was all because of this problem with this O-ring, this, this, this small O-ring that was a part of one of the boosters um, that was not tested to, to be launched in the cold weather of that day. It was colder than anticipated, and so there was a problem here. And, and so after this explosion, they shut down the shuttle program for 32 months to do an investigation to figure out what it was that happened. And through that process, they discovered all these organizational issues that had broken down where, where an engineer on one side knew something that was happening, but that information wasn't being communicated through the different chains of commands. And it led to a disaster. Things appeared to be functioning on the surface. Everything seemed to be going well. Everything seemed to be functioning correctly. But something was going on below the surface that was not functioning correctly. And it had devastating results. But then you go 16 years earlier and you've got uh, this small metal capsule flying hundreds of miles above Earth aboard Apollo 13. And and there is a, a leak in the oxygen tank. One of the oxygen tanks explode, and now there's not enough oxygen to get this capsule back to Earth. And so we hear this famous line coming over the radio waves, Houston, we have a problem. And so all of the engineers get together, they scramble together, and they find a solution and find a way to get this capsule back to Earth safely. Both of these missions had their major flaws. Both of these missions had their problems. Uh, but the difference between the two was, was could people come together and find solutions? For the Challenger mission, the people failed to come up with the right solutions. For the Apollo mission, they came together to find solutions. And so we look at the world around us. We look at the environment around us. And we, we, we can say, heaven, we have a problem. That the world around us is hurting, the world around us is broken, the world around us is hungry, and the solution we all know is rooted in this important question of who is Jesus, that it's not found in anything else. That the problems that we have will not be solved through political parties, the problems that we have will not be solved in any earthly way. But the world around us needs to answer this question, who is Jesus? And so everything hinges on that question. Who is Jesus to you? You as an individual, who is Jesus? And so the answer to this question derives us and motivates us. It's who we are as disciples of Jesus. It's who we are as a church of Christ. This is a question that we, we don't want to get wrong. In Matthew 16, we have this great picture here where it's one of only two places where Jesus talks about the church. And, and, and he, he's sitting with his, his disciples and he says, who do people say I am? Like, let me take a poll. Like, what, 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 what's the word on the street? Who do people say I am? And they replied, some are saying John the Baptist. Some are saying Elijah. Others, Jeremiah. One of the prophets. 
But then he looks at them and he says, okay, who do you say I am? My disciples, my followers, the ones who have been here with me, who do you say I am? And Peter responds for the group. He answers, you are the Messiah. You are the son of the living God. And this is, of course, the right answer. Jesus starts by asking, who do people say I am? But then he says, okay, who do you say I am? Who is Jesus to you? Who do you say I am? And Peter correctly responds. He responds for the group and says, you are the Messiah. You are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. And so this is the place to start. As we think about breaking ground on a new building, as we we talk about saying farewell to a building, the question really is not about what building we will be meeting in or the place that we will be located. The question is, who is Jesus? Is he the Messiah? Is he the Christ? Is he the anointed one? Is he the son of God? Is he king? Is he Lord? Because that belief will drive everything that we do in the weeks and months and years and centuries to come? Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, or do you believe that Jesus is docile or passive or or indifferent? Because our church will continue to reflect what we believe about Jesus. Our church will reflect what we believe. Your life will reflect what we believe about Jesus. And so are we operating with the power and authority of Jesus? Or is it just passive and indifferent? Peter declares his belief that Jesus is the Christ. And and Jesus celebrates that response with him. Jesus replies, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And so where did Peter's answer come from? It wasn't his own intellectual understanding. Peter wasn't smart enough to figure this out on his own. Even being in the presence of Jesus wasn't really enough to figure this out. This had to be revealed by God. And so God revealed to him It is a moment of revelation. It's not just knowing about Jesus. We can learn a lot about Jesus, but it is knowing Jesus. Knowing Jesus. And it's in this knowing Jesus that that Jesus reveals to us what his church should be about. And so as we break ground, Jesus is telling us that Jesus builds the church, not our contractor. Not our dollars, not our committees, and not our planning. Jesus builds the church. Jesus owns the church. And the church is meant to be growing. That something that is being built up gets bigger. You don't build up things to be smaller. That the church is growing. But he also warns us. Not only does he own the church, not only is he building the church, but he warns us that the church will face opposition. Have we faced opposition as a church? Will we continue to face opposition as a church? Yes. 
Will everything go smoothly over the next several months as we're building the new building? No. Yes. We will face opposition. We're promised of that. Hell is opposing this. Hell is opposing this. Satan does not want this to work. He would much rather us fight and get distracted or get complacent or bicker back and forth. Whatever it takes to distract us from the mission that he's given us. Hell is opposing us today. But if Jesus is building his church, Jesus also promises us that the church is unstoppable. That nothing will get in the way. The gates of hell will oppose us, but the gates of hell will not overcome us. The gates of hell will not overcome us. Now think of that image for a moment. Who has the gates, the church or hell? Hell has the gates. And so if, if we are to oppose that, if we are to overcome that, then we are pursuing this mission. And we are the, in the offensive. We are not building a fortress that is defensive. We are on the offense, storming the gates of hell. That means we should be pursuing the places where Satan has a stronghold. It means that we do not sit in a defensive posture. We are not building a fortress. We are building a place to send people out and to storm the gates of hell. Neil Cole says it this way, if we sit back in our fortress frightened by all that seems to threaten us, we let countless souls remain captive to the forces of hell. We need to turn from defense to offense and storm the gates to set the captives free. This is church according to Jesus. And so based on the confession that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is the Son of God, Jesus builds his church to offensively take on the darkness of this world, to bring light and transformation in the lives of the people around us. So it isn't about our buildings. It's not about our attendance numbers. It's not about our programs or what we're able to do to stay comfortable. It is about the light coming into the darkness and lives being transformed. And so our lives being transformed are the lives of people that we come in contact with being transformed. Because that is what the church of Christ is all about. And so the people who believe that Jesus is the Christ, the people who are following Jesus, they seek to model their lives and carry out his mission. These people are called disciples. And these people come together in this spiritual gathering, this spiritual organism that we call the church, this spiritual family. And they're called together to pursue his mission. As disciples, we surrender our lives, we surrender our comfort, we surrender what we think is best, and we make Jesus our Lord and we make Jesus our King to become more like Jesus. And we learn from Him and we're obedient to Him and we listen to His instructions and we learn from Him because we want to be like Him and we want to follow Him and bring glory to God. We want the things that Jesus wants. And Jesus sums up these instructions by saying, love God and love others. 
that, that, that's it. He had this vibrant relationship with his father. He had this love for God, and, and he demonstrates this love in, in this radical love for others, even to the point of dying on a cross. And so being a disciple, being a follower of Jesus is not something that's just limited to some Sundays. It's not something that's limited to sitting in pews in a certain location. It is a way of life that encompasses all of our life. Every aspect of our life is discipleship. We can't compartmentalize being disciple to a class. As disciple makers, we work to introduce others into the transformative power of our Lord. And so as a church, we exist to make disciples of Jesus Christ who love God and love others. And this is the mission of every single follower of Jesus. It's not limited to the leadership. It's not limited to the staff. A leadership, an organization, an institution, those things cannot love, love God. Those things cannot love others for you. We all have to do it. And so this is a church that has had an incredible history of being disciple makers. It isn't a perfect history, but it is rooted in the ideals of the Great Commission. Where, where in 1914, the small gathering in a, in a living room came together for Bible study, and, and that led to the first church building in 1922 on Forrester Avenue. And then that church continued to grow, and then they built a new building on Fifth and Marble in 1935. And in the decades following, that church continued to grow, continued to see a mission in front of them and, and, and a passion for the people of this city and, and, and started planting churches throughout the Northeast Heights, all the stuff from central up to the far, far north of Montgomery Boulevard. And they planted churches to be churches in neighborhoods. And, and so we have the San Pedro Church. And that church continues to grow, being present in this neighborhood. And they had a vision and had great dreams for, for doing great things for this community and doing great things for God. And so they, they bought up property at this, at this location and built a building out in the middle of nowhere. Nothing out here. And built this building knowing that there needed to be a beacon of hope for this community. And that's what this church has been for 53 years. And this church continues to do that at 7201 Montgomery Boulevard for decades to come. And so today we break ground on this new building. We don't even have to change our address. And so we continue... We continue to be an outpost for mission here in this neighborhood. That this is an outpost. This is a training center. This is, this is a place to equip and prepare disciples to go into the neighborhood, to go into our schools, to go into our workplaces, to go into our homes and our neighborhoods to bring the message of Jesus. This is a congregation that has had big dreams in the 50s, they dreamed big. In the 60s, San Pedro dreamed big. Throughout the last 50 years, Montgomery Church has dreamed big, and we continue to dream big as we walk across the streets and break ground together today. And so this new building, or this old building, they are not the church. 
This space that we meet in is not the church. This place is sacred. This place is important. This place is full of memories. But this place is not the church. We are the church. And so will we be faithful to the call that God has given us? Will we be faithful? This is a place where we invite others to experience God. This is a place where we invite people to to join in a relationship with God. The building is going to change, but the people are not going to change. The building is going to change, but the mission is not going to change. The building is going to change, and Jesus will not change. Who is Jesus? And so we have been asking for years to pray this prayer. God, what do you want to do through me? Because we are all on mission. We are all disciples. And so what is God telling us? What is God saying to us? And what are we going to do about it? Today, we are going to rise and break ground together.